0: doing a part two from last week, but it is kind of a carryover to the same thought, if I can do that. Um, um, I was in prayer a couple weeks ago, and God says what he was going to do, this is, I wrote it down, he says this, he says, there's coming a new release of courage. He said, courage and strength, I'm talking about courage this morning, a courage and strength from heaven upon God's people in this season. And uh, I, I got excited, and then I got thinking, how many's ever get, got excited, and then they started thinking? Amen. Okay, uh, God gives us what we need, Amen. Amen. right? Yes. He always gives us what we need. So if we're going to need strength and courage, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I just uh, I, I I was last week I was struggling with a little bit. I said, Lord, I said, you know, strength and courage, and uh, but then I begin to realize that if God was to say that, he's gonna motivate something. You see, here's the thing, here's my my idea. You don't need God to give you strength and courage if you're gonna sit in front of a TV. You don't need strength and courage if you're never gonna take a risk or a chance, you don't. You don't need strength and courage to just sit and do nothing. So when God says strength and courage and he begins to say these things, those are things we need to march forward and that the kingdom of God always moves forward, it never, it never retreats. So the season that God, when I say God is bringing a new season, what we mean by that is there's always advancement and the devil gets nervous. I was sharing with the leaders before I came out this, uh, this morning, I was sharing with the leaders, I said, you know, the church sits here, any church, not just our church, but i have used our church as an example. We sit in a community with darkness all around. What happens, that light goes forth but if, if the light begins to fade, if we get a little less enthusiastic about the things of God, then what happens, our light begins to dim, that darkness crowds back in again. But as we begin to, to, to have God revive us, and this is the strength and the courage part, when He gives us revive us, uh, that does what our, our light that's sh- supposed to shine, uh, resides in us, begins to push back and begin to expand that darkness. But there's a spiritual darkness on the world today, and I'm not going to preach on that, amen? But I, I'm going to preach on this, that there's a light that dispels every bit of darkness. Amen. And it, when, when God says, I'm going to pour out a new season, he means it. And when he says, we going to pour out a new season, it means the devil's going to get nervous. Yes. Praise the Lord. And there's going to be challenges. I pray this morning that this message of courage uh, hits deep as far as this is where the challenge comes in. Because without strength and courage, what do we have left? Fear and weakness. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to I want to share some things. Uh, now I kind of um, kind of last week I kind of uh, uh, how I say kind of capitalized on the on the strength part of it. I want to get more into the courage this morning. Well, what's the difference, Pastor? Well, the difference is this: courage is the application of our strength. Strength is something that we can have within ourselves. Courage is courage now. Uh, gives, uh, is the, the invitation, can I say it that way, or, or the, the, the uh, necessity to begin to move forward in what the strength was supplied for. Like I said, we don't need strength uh, to turn on the TV. We don't need spiritual strength to do uh, uh, to, to, to it. We can go to the Lord any time. We don't even need spiritual strength to pray. That should come as natural to a believer as anything as breathing. We, can, we don't need strength for that. But the challenges around us and the challenges that challenge life in general, we need strength. We need strength to endure these things and understand that God is stronger than what we're going through. And then we need the courage to take the faith to step out into that. So from the strength, there has to be a courage to step out. Amen? People with, we used to call it in the old days, called one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And if those two things are going separate directions, you've got a problem. You better be real good at doing the split. <laughs> it's not going to work. Amen? So praise the Lord. Anyway, let me get into the message this morning. And uh, praise the Lord. Uh, if, if you got your Bible, open your Bible to John chapter 2. I want to share this before I go into the other meat of the message. I want to talk about the glory of God this morning. Amen? Praise the Lord. So in John chapter 2, the, first, uh, the second chapter of John... Jesus, we see Jesus come on the scene. He does his very first miracle. Uh, in pub- public, I, His very first, of course, his, old, his birth was a miracle, but I mean, as Jesus, as far as in his ministry, he comes out and does his very first miracle. It, it, we get the sense that he wasn't intending on doing a miracle. He showed up at a wedding in Canaan, uh, Cana, and uh, he was there at the wedding feast. Of course, in, in, in the Jewish culture, even back then, uh, weddings are a big deal. Uh, it's uh, uh, There's the vows and the things that they go through, and there's the contract that they sign, and, they, the, and, and, and all these other things they go through with the minion. That's 10, ten uh, bar mitzvahed uh, men, as it was described to me. Uh, uh, but anyway, that all goes on. But what happens is, is the celebration around that is just as important as the wedding and the vows. Now in our Western culture, we, we go to a wedding. We, we you know, it's, it's the church and after that, we go someplace else and there's a wedding reception. And in and the, and the church setting, is kind of solemn and quiet. Matter of fact, uh, it, it doesn't look too much different from a funeral. <laughs> However, the Jewish culture, there is no sadness about it. I remember the first wedding I attended in Tel Aviv my brother-in-law his nephew was getting married, and it was absolutely unreal. But what it brought to mind is when Jesus said, he's the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And there was a celebration, a continual celebration. Now, in, in, in Western culture, in our culture, what happens is the, the bride comes in and the groom and, he's, and the best man are standing there or whatever, and they're waiting for the bride to come. That's not, how it's, that's not how it is in the Jewish culture. Matter of fact, when the bride finally shows herself, the, the, the uh, groom is standing with the minion, he leaves and he runs now, runs. This is what, this is what I witnessed. He ran to get his bride. And the two of them walked up to the, uh, I forget what they call it, but anyway, I'm not Jewish, so anyway, but the, they call it, to, to where they that. but he ran to go get his bride. And when, as he's running, there's crowds on both sides, this was an outdoor event uh, that I'm describing, and they begin to cheer, yell all I mean, it was like, it was louder than a football game. Oh, wow. this, this is this what the wedding. meant. And it was a happy occasion from the first time the bride shows herself as a bride, the groom running down, going, get, getting his bride and bringing her uh, to, to the, uh, the, the, the table there, the altar, and, and that was it. Not so in our culture. The groom is sitting there with his knees knocking, he's shaking, and, and of course they bring the bride in, and everything better be just so, just perfect, and it's more of a quiet, solemn ceremony, and, 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 but it doesn't seem to match uh, maybe it matches some churches, but the church is the bride of Christ. So how many know when Jesus sees his bride, he gets excited uh, and in so much that he will run towards us through his word. We don't see ourselves that way in our culture. But anyway, Jesus shows up at this wedding in Canaan, and now in, in that culture, it is very different because what happens in that culture uh, in, back in ancient times, to run out of wine was a catastrophe. Because if you ran out of wine, basically, and that you couldn't supply the guest, what it symbolized, is symbolized poverty. And poverty, as you know in Deuteronomy, is under the curse of the law. And when you symbolize po- uh, poverty at a wedding, it puts a damper on the whole entire wedding. And they considered it is it, a curse that would attach itself to that wedding uh, for, the, for as long as they're uh, together. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? So it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the bride and groom's responsibility to provide for all the guests there enough wine. And don't you know, when you open up a city and you said and they're all your guests, they're going to drink a lot. <laughs> I don't care what Jesus there or not. And they run out of wine. Mary steps up and she says, that's all right, my son will take care of this. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, What are you talking about, woman? She says, You do whatever he says to do, and, he- and he'll pr- provide for you. How many know what he did? They had six pots, okay? Each one of these pots is estimated to hold 20 or 30 gallons each. There's six of them. The pots aren't clay pots, Jesus wouldn't use clay pots. Because they made pots out of all different kinds of stuff, even even certain animal manure, they would mix it with clay and make it. So, so this pot was different. This pot was hewed out of stone. The Bible is very particular on hewed out of stone. Okay. The six pots represent us. Amen. And the six pots were used. The pots were used for water. Uh, the, the, many uh, Bible scholars think it was used for cleansing purposes, for ceremonial cleansing. But anyway, you got these six pots. You put them all together. And what did Jesus do? He took what was in the pots, which was water, and he changed it. When the Lord comes into us, he takes what you, what's in you and he changes it. And now it's something that's more valuable than what you came to him with. And now it's something that everyone around can be supplied with. To do the math for you, basically, I just shared the whole story, but to do the math for you, he took the, and turned the water into about 130 to 180 gallons of wine. (laughs) I don't know how many bottles that is, (laughs) but that's a lot of wine. And then, of course, they took it out and they had to master. He, the master. The master of the ceremonies, he's the guy who's responsible for organizing everything. He has to taste the wine first to make sure it's, it's, it's of the right quality. And he says, this is the best wine that you're given towards the end of the uh, feast, but you're given the best. You save the best for last. Amen? And, uh, anyway, so, so, so Jesus goes and he does, does his first miracle. What it says in, in John chapter 2 and verse 11, I said all that really to get to this part, but it says, it says this beginning of signs Jesus did in Canaan and Galilee. I just told you what the signs were. And it's, listen to this. And his manifest and his manifested glory and his disciples believed in him. I'll read it again. That This is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Canaan and the manifested of his glory. Uh, I can, before I, I, I can go any further in, in what we're talking about when we talk about strength, we talk about courage. We have to talk about the glory of God. So let me give you just a brief, brief uh, lesson on the glory of God. It's described in Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall be upon the earth, that's what we're seeing today, and deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory shall be seen upon you. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.14 says this, it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and the water, as the waters covers the sea. In other words, his glory is going. So let me tell you what the glory is that we're talking about, the glory of the God, because it's the glory of the God that comes upon you that gives you the courage that you need to endeavor what he's called you to do. If you're doing it in your own strength, you're starting off wrong. Amen? It's the, it's, it's, it's the glory of God that's, that's the manifested presence of Jesus. The glory of God he's talking about is the very manifest presence of Jesus. Remember, I've been, I've been talking for a couple of years now. I says, the church has to, get into, has to realize and recognize. Jesus is going to show up whether you recognize him or not. He's going to be here because he said, we're two or three are gathered in my name. We're absolutely uh, 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 particular in covenant word church that we gather in his name, no other name. Uh, that's the name of Jesus. We're gathered here this morning because of the name of Jesus. We're gathered here this morning because Jesus has commanded it in his word. And we, we respect that word, therefore, so we're gathered in no other name. We're not gathered in the name of, I need my fears taken care of. We're not gathered in the name, I need salvation. We're not gathered in the na- any other name but the name of Jesus. That he is in this place. And when we recognize and recognize the, 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 his uh, glory the manifested presence of God manifested here, all the other things can be taken care of once we first recognize and lean into the presence of God. But it's the presence of God that is absolutely m- most important because without the presence of God, it's just a ceremony. It's just a, it's just a religious thing we do, I guess, to make ourselves feel good or whatever. But the fact is, that's not what church is about. And then, like I shared before, I said when, the, when we meet, on those conditions where Jesus comes in and we recognize his presence, we acknowledge his presence, we, uh, we love his presence, we, we, we lean into it the best way we know how. It's hard to get our mind to wrap around some of the things sometimes, uh, but sometimes it, God just asked me to be quiet and just kind of lean in, just pay attention to, 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 uh, uh, to, to the awareness, that's the word I'm looking for, to have an awareness of him. And that acknowledgement of the awareness of Christ Opens a door for all the other things that we're believing Him for. Amen? That, what I just described to you, is a source of your strength and courage. Amen. Now, here's the hard part, because I told, as I picked up last week, I shared this with you. Let me share it again this week. Joshua 1.9. God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you to be of good courage, of strength and good courage? God says, have I not commanded you? How can God command anybody, anything that's beyond our control? In other words, what he's saying to Joshua, he's saying, Joshua, I told you not to fear. Guess what? That's on your plate. You don't fear. You trust me, regardless. God would never give us something to be responsible for that that we don't have the authority to be responsible for. He wouldn't do that. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right? So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. When Habakkuk 2... I was going to comment on that for just a second. Habakkuk 2.14 says, "...for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of, of the Lord." as the waters covers the sea. In other words, what he's saying, the glory of God will actually have an influence on the physical realm of this world. The church that is recognizing the glory of God and and understanding the glory of God will actually have a physical effect on this planet. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you're listening. I said, the, the, the glory of God as we press in, that glory, that relationship with God, however you want to uh, express it, that connection with God will have a physical effect upon the earth. Amen. Are you on the earth? Yes. Okay. The, would you say that the spiritual connection that you have with God affects you physically? Yes. Yes. If not, wait after the service, we'll lay hands on you and give you the experience. amen as we did a a deliverance on on uh, Wednesday night okay guess what all we did was transfer what God has given us to that individual and the devil had to leave he had no choice he had to leave he was gone he was set free when he left here we got got word he was still set free he was no longer in torment was, was a testimony we got back and I was happy because that means he took it. If he didn't, if, he, if they, they came back, then basically he accepted what he had in the previous thing before it and he came back. So God's ability, God's anointing, God's uh, glory upon us has the ability to displace anything the devil puts within us. That's why the devil gets nervous when he hears language like, well, we're in a new season. Because the season of God, when God pours out a season, it's always for advancement, it's never for retreat. It's always for advancement, amen? Well, praise the Lord, hallelujah. God bless both of you that said amen. We just, we hang in there, praise the Lord, amen. So I'm going over this and I'm, telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down thinking of, of a good example. There's lots of biblical examples for courage. What did it take for David to stand up against a 10 foot tall giant? What did it take for Joshua now to step into Moses' situation without the miracles that Moses had? and take over the promised land that he still had to rid from uh, from the illegal of uh, the illegal inhabitants. Amen. What did it take to these guys? And, and God telling Joshua, I command you. Have I not commanded you to be strong? Be strong. God can do that. He can tell you to be strong, and you have no excuse but to be strong. I'm going to repeat that. That was good. That was better than I got an amen for. Are you here? God can command you, and you can... Can have no more excuses for your weaknesses. Command strength to come upon you. Guess what? Strength is going to be coming upon you. Amen. Am I not get, uh, commanded that you have courage? That's the, that's the, the 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 industrial fortitude, <laughs> intestinal fortitude. That's what I'm looking for. Intestinal fortitude to stand up against and push back against the enemy. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. I got thinking about that. And what, I, what the Lord led me to, well, I got thinking about, it was Jonathan. How many remember the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer? Amen. Remember that Jonathan and his armor bearer? Let me give you some background uh, on the story. Basically, Israel was under the captivity of the Philistines. So what the Philistines did so they would not rise up in rebellion against them is they captured all their blacksmiths. So the blacksmiths couldn't make swords they couldn't make weapons. And they monitored. They give them the farm implements they need to make the farm, but they, they, they controlled it. It was, um, it was an ancient version of gun control. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I just see that in there. Don't email me. It's just praise the Lord. But the fact is, is this is so, so, so what happened was the, the whole nation was under this siege. And it was, and it was the Philistines that had them under siege. This is before David was king. Saul was king, but this was the chapter after he would just had a falling out with God because he misappropriated what God t- said to do. Remember God's, uh, the prophet came, the word of the prophet came, out. he says, you go into the city and you annihilate everything, kill everything off. He said, this is why, because that was supposed to be the tie that God was gonna receive, uh, the freest people, and that was the offering. What's what's happened with Saul is Saul kept some of the finer sheep and some of the finer animals and livestock kept them alive uh, because he was going to follow the law and he was going to do exactly what the law said to do was to use them for sacrifices. Samuel comes up and confronts him. He says, what have you done? What's that the bleeding of sheep I hear? He says, "Yes, this is for the Lord," it, it, and he could bring out the scripture like we would do, and say, "It's written right here in Exodus is what you do, or Leviticus is what I do." And I, they're all prepared; they're clean sheep. They're, I've checked them over; they're all good for the offering, except for one problem. He said, "What you have done is not what God told you to do." He put religious ceremony before the living Word of, the, of, of God. He tried to appease his way, appease God, with a sacrifice when God says, no, you take no sacrifice, and this is what you do. And so what it did, because, uh, because Samuel said, well, God came and talked to Samuel, said, no, he, sinned. he said, I want you to find me a, a man that's after my heart. Saul, I'm taking my anointing off Saul. So Saul had no anointing. He was sit, still sitting in the position of king. Of course, you know the story of David and David. Samuel went to the house of Jesse, and he looked at all the sons that Jesse had, and uh, the one that wasn't invited to the meeting is the one that he chose. (laughs) Just like God, you know, praise the Lord. But he's the man after my own heart, that's what he was looking for. A lot of times we want to substitute a religious act for the thing God is asking us to do like we're kind of going to appease him because we want to do something different. That's exactly what Saul did, and it cost him his anointing. It cost him his, his, his kingship eventually. Are you here? So this is where, where it was. Jonathan, however, was the first prince of Israel, and he's out in a different place. He's sitting around there with his father. All of a sudden, he decides, well, let's, let's get out of here. Let's, let's, let's go I'm going to go up to that uh, Philistine garrison. And as we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 14... And uh, they get there, they get to the Philistine garrison. The Philistine garrison is on a hill hilltop, kind of like a plateau. So they're uh, so the Philistines have the high ground. Anybody know anything about uh, a proper uh, setup for warfare? You always want to take the high ground, correct? Yeah. High ground, you have a better vantage point. Yeah. You always want you always want the element of surprise. So here's some some things we want: high ground, we want the element of surprise to come up against the enemy, and then we wanna hit it with our all the force that we have. And basically, if we have those things going for us, we don't need, even if we have a lesser force, we can still have an advantage over the enemy uh, if we've got the high ground. Right here. Jonathan didn't have any of that, none of it. He didn't have the element of surprise, and he didn't have the high ground, but he says right here, and Jonathan says this in verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 6, he said, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, that's an armor bearer, he said, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised, and that it may be uh, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord's will, that the Lord will work, will work uh, for us, for nothing, listen to this, for nothing restrains the Lord from slaying by many or by few. So he says, you know what? Here we are, and this is what we'll do. Let's go up to the garrison. No, Here, we'll we'll show ourselves. We'll pop out, we'll show ourselves. If the garrison says to, or the enemy, the Philistines say, come on up to us, we want to show you something, then we'll know that's a sign from the Lord for us to go up. There's a couple of things wrong with this with me. (laughs) I don't listen to what the enemy says to get an, a, 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 an okay from God. <laughs> but anyway, this is how the story goes. So basically, so they pop out and the Philistines look down and say, oh, look at the it's the Hebrews. They come out from their hiding, come out from their holes. And he, he said, come up here. We want to show you something. How many ever had anybody do that to them as a kid or whatever? Here, I want to show you something. That never works out good. <laughs> I want to show you something. And, and jo- Jonathan says to his remember, that's it. That's a signal. Let's go up. So now they're climbing up the hill. But again, they don't have the advantage, but they climb up the hill on their hands and knees to get up there. Did I mention a fact that the only one that had a sword was Jonathan? Because when they captured the blacksmiths, there was only two swords allowed in Israel. No, Saul had one and Jonathan being the prince had the other one. So here's this, uh, I, I gotta focus on this, this, this armor bearer because he's got no weapons. And hey, I got an idea. Let's go up and kill these guys. I could have said as an armor bearer, I could have said, yeah, that's good for you to say. Well, I'm just an armor bearer. I'm, number one, I'm not trained in warfare. And number two, I got no weapons. He doesn't say that. He says, whatever's on your heart, we will do it. So now we have two in agreement. We don't feel we have the weapons, we don't have the right position, but we still feel that But we can take this battle because God is for us. That's what it means to have courage. When everything is stacked against you, when it doesn't make any sense mentally, strategically, or, or whatever, but yet you still go ahead and you plot the course for victory. Notice, they plotted the course of victory. Hey, they called us up there, God has given them to our hands. What makes you think that? Do you have a Bible verse? (laughs) They're going to say that anyway. I don't know what plan B would have been. I think regardless, they were going to climb up and and kill a Philistine. So anyway, there's a garrison up there. There's over 20 Philistines on less than a half acre plot. The Bible is very specific on the number on that. Just like Jesus when he did the wine, the glory of God. So what happens? Was the glory of God on Jonathan at the ground? Not really, because he said, well, let's see if... Th- those aren't words of faith. Those are words that I need a sign or a wonder or something to, 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 to guarantee something. Hmm. So the glory of God wasn't there. Was the glory of God on them as they're climbing up, gave them the courage? The glory of God will give us the courage. We know that. With glory of God giving them the courage to climb up the hill? There's no indication. There, there's no indication in the Scriptures that even as they're climbing up the rock face... Getting up there, doing, taking their energy, and 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 carrying it up there. But yet, what happened was when they crested the top, the Philistines are standing there. There's a garrison of Philistines standing there. They have armor. They have weapons. They have the high ground, and they see them coming except what happened is God's intervention, as soon as they crest the top, an earthquake hit the top of that thing, and these, and these Philistines fell down to the knees. You think Jonathan would be the first one to spring to battle because he's trained in warfare. Nope. The armor bearer, who has nothing, goes over, grabs whatever, I guess he grabbed a sword, remember a rock, whatever he did, but he starts killing the Philistines. Even ahead of Jonathan, he's just killing the Philistines. Of course, if you kill one Philistine, guess how many swords you got? One. So you have the picture. I brought a sword. Amen? This is, this is uh, later. This is Solomon's sword. But anyway, but this is a, not the actual one, replica. But anyway, as a sword. So what happens is Jonathan stands there with his sword, watching this maniac. <laughs> Killing these guys. John says, well, we might as well enter in. And they're twenty to two outnumbered. Okay? Now, what does what kind of courage does it take to stand there? You've got one sword, your partner has no other sword, you know, he's he's just has he just has a lot of. He's got a lot of zeal, (laughs) but he's got no sword. He's got no substance to back it up. Jonathan's got the substance. It was Jonathan's idea. This guy could just be following orders for all we know. But yet God did something when he got to the top. That means he took, he had the sword at the bottom. Jonathan had his sword at the bottom. He had to sheath this somehow, climb up to the top. He had to climb up a rock face which could have been massive. I've been in Israel, rock faces are, 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 are common. The, the, you know the Philistines are going to have the high ground so they can see whatever's approaching them. The enemy knows he's being approached. But all of a sudden, something happens as unexpected and the enemy goes into fear. They fell to their knees, basically. I think they were knocked to their knees by the Lord is what I think. Kind of, I had a picture in my mind of this thing, you know, uh, uh, do you remember uh, when God sent an angel to deliver uh, uh, Jerusalem twice, and it said one angel killed 180,000 of the enemy, lay dead the next morning when they woke up? Can you imagine as Jonathan, with his courage of God, with, 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 with his bent for freedom and to be rid of the Philistines? And... All of that. Can you imagine? God just watched them climb that mountain. he says, you, back them up. Amen. And one angel just kind of stands there, hovering over top of them. And as soon as they reach here, as soon as a Philistine gets ready with a the sword, they all fall down. Fall down enough. Now, understand something. The Bible is specifically clear that they begin to kill the Philistines. Matter of fact, it was, it was the armor bearer. But God had a hand in it. Here it goes again. God was looking for somebody to co-labor. It was the will of God for that to be done, but He was looking for somebody to co-labor. Religion didn't teach you to co-labor with God. Religion taught you to wait and just God will be a miracle. Sometimes He does and sometimes He doesn't. Baloney. God is looking all the time for somebody to do His will so He can co-labor with them. Praise the Lord. When I lay hands on anybody like I did on that on that fellow on on, on Wednesday night, when I lay hands on it, there's nothing special about my hand. But God says, there's something special about me. I want my people free of demonic strongholds and demonic power. And when I laid my hands on him, God got involved with it, and we co-labored. My hand, his power, guess what? Devil has to run. Amen. Amen? Amen? Give God something to work with. Stop mealy mouthing and complaining. Give God something to work with. Now listen, this kind of courage is infectious. Are, are, are you with me? Anyway, I just brought this for visual effect. Is okay? Yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. Is my sword? Huh? Yeah. yeah pastor's got a sword. Yep. <laughs> you do too. It's called the Word of God. Sharp two edged sword, piercing and dividing sunder. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So, is that okay? Oh yeah! All right, praise the Lord. But look what I found out. Look, look, at, look at this. Verse 21, I want to jump down a few verses. Verse 21, the word of Jonathan and what his armor-bearer got out. The word got out. It got out all to Israel. And it says in verse 21, it says, moreover, the Hebrews, listen to this. <clears throat> the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding countries and also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, the men of Israel, this is verse 22, verse, the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. Here's a picture. We had people that, when oh, I say we, walking like the Hebrews, the Hebrews had people that had turncoated, and they went to fight with the Philistines. Rather than to put up with the hardship of the Philistines, they just joined them. But when they saw real God-given courage and God intervening with Jonathan and the servant, the story went out abroad. They said, enough of this. We're going to free ourselves. Threw down their armor. I imagine they kept the swords. But they threw down the armor, and they went back, and they fought with Jonathan and, and, and Saul. Then you had the people that were hiding out in caves. They were also Hebrews. They didn't want the hardship of what the Philistines were, were enslaved in, so they hid out. Praise the Lord. In other words, they wouldn't show themselves. They didn't tell anybody they were Hebrews. They just kind of sit there. They kind of hid out in communities underground. Israel is easy to do. There's lots of caves. I visited a couple of them when I was there. But the fact is you can hide out and and, and nobody can find you. So they, they hid. Courage brought both of those people out. It changed the heart of the traitor and the one that were too sheepish to stand up on their own. Now all of a sudden, because of the courage of these two men, changed the entire course of the nation are you here today in our churches if we ever needed any time in our churches any dispensation whatsoever it's today even with revivals and stuff breaking out as we hear across the country we got to have strength and courage to stand up there and we got to maintain the presence of God all the time we got to maintain his glory Amen. amen amen I believe this in history, as you go back in history and you look at different revivals and stuff that happened in history, I believe, this is what I believe, I believe that God had no intentions of ending those revivals. Man took control, pushing God aside, and those revivals ended. I could go through all the history if you want to, and then then the persecution within the church from the from the Protestant Reformation back in 1517 on, and each each new move, each new move of God was to restore what the early church had, what was lost because of the, of Constantine and his nonsense in the Roman Empire. They were, God was trying to bring back what they had lost. And what they did they ended up it ended up becoming a thing, to persecute the next movement. So the church itself persecuted itself to the next movement. If we ever needed strength and courage today, this is the day and hour we need strength and courage. Amen. So I fussed with God when I first heard the, heard the message. I, I said, Well, now I see it. I got to look further than we're seeing right here, we got to look beyond. And this is the thing. God's vision is not just for right here for today uh, to to make your life comfortable. Well, Christians are looking for the comfortable lifestyle. God's looking for warriors that will rise up in this hour and stand for the truth. They don't have to do a whole lot of evangelizing. Just stand for the truth. The evangelism will happen. But when the church starts giving in to the cultures of the world, that's when you got a problem. But courage can break that. People hiding out, I'm not going to tell anybody, I'm not going to say a Christian, I'll just send my kids to school and just be quiet about all this other stuff, I don't want any trouble. You're hiding out in in the case of Ephraim. But when you come out from hiding and the courage begins to kick in, things begin to change in our society. Are you here? Not preaching against anything this morning, but just bringing, bringing biblical, historical evidence that God will move when man moves. David wasn't even looking for a fight when he showed up on the battlefield. When he even looking for a fight, he just didn't like what he heard and said, who is this guy? And courage began to rise up inside him. And yes. God had already given him the strength, and he went in and took out that giant. Well, yeah. Then he had his eye on the future. Once a giant, that was, just a, that was just a stepping stone to the future of God, holding up that head outside of Jerusalem when the capital wasn't Jerusalem. You see, and I'm coming back in 12 years, and guess what? This is going to be a different place. Because this is where Abraham came with his son Isaac. And this is where he was going to sacrifice Isaac to the living God. And this is where God is going to sacrifice his son years prior, which we know to be Jesus now. Amen? He says, this is a prophetic message. He brought that prophetic message to the Jebusites, not out of fear, but out of the most courage you can Im- imagine on a, on a teenage boy's heart. Amen. I'm not king yet, but I'm anointed to be king. When I'm king, and it worked out to be about 12 years later. David took the city of Jerusalem, took it very easily, by the way. He went up through the gate, went through the water supply. And I uh, took the city. He was a king for about seven years when he did that. So he had the army. He had the, he had the experience. He had about seven years worth of experience. And he took that city. And it became this, known as the city of David. He got the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines. And he got it back. And he put, put it into the, into the city of Jerusalem. And that became the, of the capital of Israel to this day. It took courage Amen. to see things change to see things happen. People in the caves... They got everything they need. They got, they got protection. They're covered. They got a roof over their head and meals on the table. Isn't that what we look for as Americans? Hey, as long as I got a roof over my head and meals on the table, that's it. That's the extent of our 10 pegs, so to speak, or is there something more? With that mentality, and if that's all we need is a survivalist mentality, with a survivalist mentality, we're not looking for God to do anything to disrupt that. These guys did. They saw God disrupting something. Wait a minute. Jonathan and his servant, and one sword? That's it? They had one sword between them? 20? 20? Are you kidding me? You mean he marched up the top of the mountain, are you? He's a kid. So what? kid with a sword? God must be with him. He could never do that. God had to be for him. God is for, he's for our nation, he's for us. Let's get out of these caves. Amen. Now it no longer satisfies us just to have our needs met. Amen. Now let's go get somebody else's needs met. Right. Gideon, Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine bread. How much wheat? You get enough wheat to, make a, to feed yourself. The angel appears to him, thou mighty man of valor. What was he saying? The word of the God, God says, come on, I want to work through you. Give me something to co-labor with. Well, I'm nothing. I'm the least of the least, and go he goes through the whole thing. Gideon, remember that, okay. until Gideon says, "Okay, well, I, w- I want to make sure it's the Lord." And when the Lord satisfied all his curiosities, he said, "Now take him." He says, "Good. We got thirty-two thousand men that are willing to fi- follow me." He said, "Not nah, too many." <laughs> God reduced them down to three hundred. <laughs> he takes on five armies with three hundred men. Well, that had to be, God was gonna test his courage. Could God have used the 32,000? God wasn't gonna use the 32,000 because Gideon would have said, look what I did with 32,000 men. That was Gideon gonna say, look what I can do. Remember what Jonathan said? God is able to save with few, just the two of us, or with many. How come God always chooses few? You know, in John chapter 6, Jesus had many disciples that were following him besides the 12. And then he preaches one sermon, and the other ones all get up and leave. And he turns to the 12, he says, you're going to tr- go to? And Peter says, where else will we find the words of life? No. So he, he had many disciples. Jesus reduced it down to, with one sermon, reduced it down to the 12, and one of those was a traitor. <clears throat> Did he get it done? He changed the world forever. <laughs> With those 12 men, he changed the world forever. With the traitor, he just replaced the traitor. The traitor went and hung himself. That's a fitting death for a traitor. Praise the Lord. Are we getting anything out of this message this morning? The thing is, here's the problem. Our so-called balance in Christianity... How many's ever heard of that word? Oh, I want a balanced teaching. I want a balanced doctrine. What you're actually saying in that, you're saying in Christianity is to stay totally in the realm of human understanding and natural laws. Think about it. When you talk about balanced Christianity, you're just talking about the realm of your understanding. What happens in that situation, your God becomes no bigger than you or what you can think or understand, I should say. We can think bigger, understand less. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. It totally, in the human understanding and natural laws, if this eliminates many spiritual laws and much of what is required, which requires faith, because what I'm talking about this morning, the courage that we need in these last days, in this day and hour that we live in, it's gonna get by faith and relationship with God. It's not gonna come by uh, uh, what we understand. Well, it's my understanding of the Scripture. Never, it's never going to be enough. Because if you could possibly understand all the Scriptures, guess what? God is bigger than that. <laughs> and just when you think you have it all down, or understanding, God will change the thinking. It was like Saul. He said, well, I know what the law says. I'm going to say this sacrifice. I'm going to give it to God. I don't care what the prophet says. I'm going to do this. And he lost his anointing because he followed after a religious ceremony more than he followed after God's Word. Hallelujah. <laughs> However, what did, he say to, what did he say to Samuel? Find me a man after my heart. Not just after my word, after my heart. A lot of times we pick up this and we separate this from God himself. And this becomes our guide. As good as the word is, we need this plus the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us in all truths. Amen. Now, understand that. With that said, God will never violate this word, but he will expand it. Mm, he will expand it beyond our understanding and beyond our thinking. He'll never violate it. No, no, you won't find contradictions. You got a contradiction, that's the, that's the little g, God. Get rid of him. Amen? Amen. That's right. But he will expand on what you think. Praise the Lord. I, I'm, I'm living proof of this. I've been preaching the, that word for the last... 37, 38 years, I guess, if you count all my experience, and I have not exhausted it yet. You think with all the, I'm talking about preaching overseas and and, and spending months in Africa and different things like this, and and preaching, you think I would exhaust the truth? Never exhaust it. God's always showing me something new. I just got something new just last week. Are you here? So what? Same word, it lines up with the word. I wouldn't preach it if it didn't line up with the word. But we got God has expanded the revelation of what that means. So now we're looking at this two guys just going to ready to take, take it on. Paul made a statement. Oh, I'm out of time. I'm out of time already? Holy smokes. Okay, uh, let, me, let me save this for next week. <laughs> I have some of these notes, I've, I've been in there for a month. <laughs> I just keep shifting forward. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, how many have some courage this morning? <laughs> if not, just say so make me feel better. <laughs> I will give you one more. I, I, I gotta, I'll, I'll end it right there. That's a good place to end anyway. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. It says, therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. Remember that. What he was saying, he was saying, my physical strength or weakness does not in any way reflect my spiritual strength or weaknesses. They're separate. In other words, he said, in other words, uh, I guess Paul had a problem with himself. Did anybody have a problem with yourself? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not really other people, it is yourself. But anyway, you, you have a problem with yourself. You're arguing with yourself all the time and trying to make sense of this and trying to make sense of that. Again, you're trying to appease your understanding. Amen. Something with God, you're not going to appease your understanding. You're just going to have to take up a faith and co-labor cool with Him. Praise the Lord. But the fact is, he's, a, you know, he, he's, he's wrestling. And he finally figured out, if I just let go of what I think and move in what God is saying, Here, my strength, what would Paul's strength be? Well, Paul was a a son of a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He he, he knew the law. He knew everything. He was a very educated man, okay? So I guess he looked at that as weakness because he realized that that religious idea could get in the way of what God wants to do. God's not bound by a religion. He's not bound by a law format. We think we want God to be reduced to a magic formula, and there is no such thing. God is God, He's he's living. And He he, he has a a, a plan for every generation uh, on the globe all the time, for every season. He's choosing this season here to rise His church up in strength and courage and believe me, I can see it as obvious as the nose on my face. You can see this, the church needs to get off its religious high horse. Crawl out of your cave. Stop joining forces with the enemy because there's a courage rising up that's going to be infectious upon the body of Christ. I'll prophesy it. Amen. That is going to cause people to come out of their caves, come out of their safe zones where they're comfortable and get into an area. Amen. That's not so comfortable. Praise the Lord. I'm standing here Wednesday night and... Little Levi was standing there, and and this boy just blessed my heart so much. I mean, it was just so much. This is this is a second, but uh, uh, there was Nathaniel who was seven, and Levi who was six. He's going to be seven in, in November. All want the Lord. They all want water baptism. They want want water. And the Lord said, pick him up and embrace him. I picked him up and embraced him, and I just just hugged him there. And I couldn't the, the anointing of God. That was in that moment, was in, indescribable, indescribable. Uh, little did I know it was going to get on Facebook. I didn't do it for that. <laughs> they don't do anything, but, but the fact is, is but uh, when it came to the deliverance, I did something I never did before. I when after I got done baptizing Levi, I, I scooped up some water, and put it on the man's head. The anointing that was on that little boy when he went in the water, still in water, I said. The residual anointing it on his head and deliverance came. And deliverance came. Praise, Praise the Lord. God. Did I find that in a preacher's manual someplace? Uh-uh. No. <laughs> Most of what I do I don't find it in a preacher's manual if there is such a thing. And if they do write a manual which generations are going to be for? Because God's done, done a new thing. Isaiah said God will do a new thing in every generation. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 54, 14. I know I got one more American way. Praise the Lord. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear for the terror by night. If you reverse this, reverse this scripture, then you will be close to oppression. And what happens is you gotta understand there are two gods there's a god of fear and then there's a one true god if you embrace fear you're embracing the wrong god because our god doesn't look for fear he looks for faith and cooperation with him both of them fear and faith take knowing something you have to know something before you can be in, be afraid but when you embrace fear, you're embracing the wrong God. There. Now I can, I can with good conscience, close this service out. Praise the Lord. Sermon out. Amen. How may got something out of the Word this morning? Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, two things, whenever we close out the live stream, two things we'll, we'll, we'll always make available. You can depend on this every Sunday from here on in. Okay, so if you're not prepared this Sunday, then think about it next Sunday or whatever. Two things that we're going to, our leadership will come down and they'll pray with you uh, um, for whatever need you have, whatever whatever it is. Uh, They'll pray for you. The second thing is the waters of baptism. If you want baptism today, we can give it to you because we're already prepared for it. Uh, And uh, we're offering water baptism. I don't care. Uh, I'm, I'm not standing on ceremony I'm not standing on I'm t- standing on what the Spirit of the Lord has said but I know one thing when seven, six and seven year old boys nobody prods them nobody talk to them about it all of a sudden they want, want a baptism this one was uh, Nathaniel he was seven years old from, from Central Texas they were visiting here his mother later said he saw water baptisms lots of times. Their church in Texas is doing water baptism. But here he walks up. He was going to climb into the tank if I didn't stop him. I had to take his shoes and stuff off. But, I mean, he was going to do that. She says, no, I want to be baptized. Little Levi, he's, he lives up in central Florida. They have a church that they do baptisms all the time, his mom says. But no, he says, I want to go to Key West. I want to be baptized by Pastor Kevin. That's what he said. And so they bring him down here. And he, he, so before the baptism, he, uh, Diane takes him out. We have a pool in the backyard, so he's out there in the, in the pool. And uh, he, tells, he tells my wife that he's practicing. <laughs> 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 this kid on his own is baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. On his own. So we're going to offer those things from here until God tells us to stop. But we're going to offer those things. Those things you know, If you've got friends, you've got family, whatever. Uh, please do not look at it as a religious ceremony. Amen. You will lose out. Yeah. That's the devil's plan to steal anything rich that God has for you. To yeah. yeah. make a religious habit out of it. Or make it some kind of religious sacrament. Praise the Lord. No. God wants the water baptism. Do I really need it? I don't know, ask Jesus. Because did Jesus need it? But yet he did. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not here to, to explain it. All I'm here is to tell you this is what's offered in the church. Let's go ahead and close out. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. And we pray for those, even those watching by live stream. We pray, Lord, this is the day, this is the hour. We drop the uniform of the, of the enemy And we crawl out of our caves. We unite as a nation. That nation is called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God unites in this area. Lord, to take back what the devil has stolen from us is one of the things. But most of all, Lord, to spread your glory upon the earth. As it says in the Bible, the way of the sea is spread across the bottom of the ocean. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your glory be spread across the globe. Like the sea is across the bottom of the ocean, we pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody agree to that prayer. Say, Amen. 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 God bless you. Hallelujah. You. Praise, Praise the Lord.